1: E-commerce is now over 20 years old and Amazon has been in business for 23 years. In the early days, many of us in the industry panicked because of the e-commerce revolution and now, 20 years later, it has not put the dent in the business like we thought it would, though it has changed buyers' expectations. In this episode, Mark Ram and I explore the future of B2B e-commerce. We share our failures at trying to build our own solutions and walk through what the buyer's experience could be if we simply challenged our conventional views of e-commerce and reimagined the buyer's journey. This episode is brought to you by CommonSkew, the effortless business management platform that powers you to process more orders and grow your business. To learn more or to start your free trial, visit CommonSkew.com. And by the way, since this is an episode about e-commerce and the digital experience, I want to tell you about one of the sessions we'll have at SKU Camp held September 30th through October 3rd in New Orleans. It is led by Ben Taylor, who once served as the Director of Digital Media for Gallup Consulting and is now the Chief Marketing Officer at BamBams. Ben will be leading a session on how to transform your website into a lead generation machine. He is one among several outstanding leaders at our business planning bootcamp. We are almost sold out, and we have just a few tickets left. You can learn more at skewcamp.com. I'm Bobby Lehu, the Chief Content Officer at Common CommonSkew, and we'll get right into today's discussion that I recorded with Mark Graham on the future of B2B e-commerce. It is interesting that in 2011, 4 imprint was at 254 million in sales. In 2017, they're at 540 million. I mean, you can't ignore that kind of success. By the same token, most everybody immediately goes to the small percentage of what that represents in the $23, $24 billion industry. You could argue that there are non e commerce distributors that do not have that kind of growth. So you could make an argument that e commerce is on the rise, but still, e commerce is, is now old. It's not new. And Amazon is to what, 20 plus years old. And then the dent it's barely made in the business is intriguing to me.
0: I think that is a very curious thing because I think for any respectable conversation to take place about B2B e-commerce, one needs to honor the tremendous success of 4imprint and their brethren, right? Because to to not would be putting your head in the sand. Right. So, and, and so yes, they've, they've grown that clearly validates the model. You could then say, well, the industry has also grown. Now the industry has not grown at the same rate that for imprint has. So then you ask yourself like who has for imprint taken business from that's outside of the business growth. And I think the, you know, the answer there is likely that small distributor that is, not right. keeping up with the times and is dealing with a small church group and it may be very relationship based and that distributor has now gone into business or retired. And now that church group just decides to go online. Um, but then, but then I think what the point that you're trying to make is you look at the 23.3 billion right. in the industry, you take the ASI top 40, um, categorize the e-commerce distributors add up how much they represent of the $23.3 billion industry. And I think the answer is that they, you know, maybe make up 10%. Like, would you, maybe 10 or 15%. And, and, and yes, and yes, I'm hearing Jim Franklin back in his old days saying, well, you know, it was 2%, you know, five years ago and now it's 10%. Like no segment is growing as fast. And I agree with all that, but I think the question is, it's certainly, not an industry that is that has been overwhelmed by e-commerce in 2018. I think that 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 is very much a fact, right? You would agree with that. Then I think the other question is, are we seeing an eventual like a continual continual steady climb where that 10% becomes 25%, becomes 45%, becomes 90%? That 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 could be the case, or do you see it plateauing where there's an equilibrium between the business that is more naturally strategic, creative, agency oriented, and the business that is more, lends itself more naturally to transaction, low price efficiency.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And does that, is there always an equilibrium? Will it always exist? And I, I, one, I don't know if I'm thinking bullshit here, but I yeah. think that That's my hunch that there's a, that, that we find ourselves in this business with an equilibrium as opposed to a total domination. And the total domination would be, you know, like bookstore industry or like, you know, the record business, like that's the classic e-commerce or digital, I should say, just totally overwhelmed and rendered the industry completely unrecognizable from what it was a few years ago. Will that exist in promotional products? I think that that's maybe another element here.
1: The famous study that a lot of folks love to hate, but I still think it's valid to have the conversation around is Forrester Research conducted that study that by 2021 million 1 million B2B salespeople would be out of job. Yes. So according to Forrester, 68% of B2B buyers prefer doing business online versus with a salesperson. And when they engage with sales, they want that experience to be in a more problem-solving, consultative manner. So certainly, the online players have come in, and the attrition that's happened from your just pure transactional clicks, transactional purchases, um, they've obviously picked that up. But it this sort of is is a wake up call. It, it may be in our industry that we're not talking about tons of people being out of work as much as it is refining how it is that we engage with our customers in a way that's both digital and personal. And Forrester continues, and I'll quote from that study, this is not so much a story about loss, but one of re-engineering, re-engineering the sales strategy, selling motion and sales teams, then orchestrating it to avoid a hit to the top line. Digital experiences must perform in tune with customer oriented expectations of B2B buyers. But what I love about that statement is the whole re-engineering the process. Because if you're sitting across from a B2B buyer, the only validity you're bringing to the relationship is to show a, a, you know, a white mug with a one color spot imprint in a catalog, you're wasting their time. There's just, they can do that with a mouse click. Um, I mean, I'm pointing out the painfully obvious. So it begs the question, then what is it that our
0: sophisticated buyers want from that Experience Right. We were interviewing Mike McCallowitz uh, a few weeks ago on the on the podcast. And one of the comments that he made is that he is a he's a customer. He's an end client. He said he's not looking for a distributor that can show him uh, the difference between a 12 and 16 ounce mug. He's looking for a distributor that understands what drives association engagement and retention. Let's play that clip right now.
2: Right. But I'm saying like, I I also realize I'm the minority. So what do I do? I go out of my way to seek out a promotional source or sourcer that can do the proper design, consistency, understands like the different products that are out there and and how they complement each other. I'll pay a premium for that for a a promotional company that gets it. The irony is most are practitioners though. Most of them say, oh, I have a a mug. You want a 16 ounce or 12 ounce and we can stick a label on it. Like, no, I don't want that. Uh, let's get back to the essence of what I'm looking to do. Maybe a mug is one of the applications, but I, I want it done around this revolving approach of retention. How, how do I get a drip campaign going to my members of giving them different promotional items to keep them excited? There's very few that are lifesavers, uh, out there that are heart surgeons, but I, I know them, I found them and now I work with them and those companies can charge a premium to customers like me.
0: That, uh, on one hand was a very obvious Thing that he said, right? It's not nothing terribly new or revolutionary there. But what made me pause was that it was a great reminder that one distributor is selling the 12 or 16 ounce mug. They're in that business and they wouldn't find any fault in identifying with being in that business because, at the end of the day, that's what they're shipping out the door, that's what they're making margin on. And that's what they're likely very good at coordinating with whoever the mug vendor is. They're very good at the artwork. They're very good at making sure it ships out and providing a good experience to the customer. The other distributor is not in the mug business. They're in the business of providing solutions to their customer that, in Mike's case, is all about how he's able to retain his member. So if that happens to be through a really cool 12-ounce mug with the imprint on the inside of the mug that has got some interesting logo that ties back into the association's core values that then gets the user excited and makes them feel the warm fuzzies, but being part of that association, then then, then job well done or it could be delivering a bag or a pen or whatever. And I think the question is if you're in the latter business You have far fewer competitors, um, that understand that space. And as a result, you're able to charge responsible margins. And just hearing him talk about it, it was interesting because sometimes I'll think I'll put my distributor hat back on because that's the world I came from. And I was thinking to myself, like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty smart, savvy, creative distributor. And when I'm hearing Mike talk about that, I'm like, man, I don't know that I'd want to compete with that distributor that he was talking about. Like, it sounds like he's pretty locked and loaded with that distributor. And it also then made me made me think about the times when I was active in building Right Sleeve, that if I ever made a phone call to a customer or connected with a customer in whatever environment, we started talking about promotional needs. And I had a customer that talked about their relationship with their distributor in the same way that Mike was It would give me a lot of pause about whether I had any business in pitching that particular client because I would think to myself, sounds like they've got a pretty darn good distributor that's in place that's able to add great value. Now, of course, if I knew that I could add more value, I would say, I would love the opportunity to come and talk to you because we've done this for 50 clients and we're we think the market leader in this particular service. It's interesting when you're in the product business versus this other business. Yeah. And then how does that translate to B2B e-commerce? Yeah. Like, how, how, is there a line there? And I think that that's what we're talking yeah. about with this concept of engaging. E-commerce. Hey, Mark, it's interesting little exercise here. You and I didn't
1: prepare for this question at all. We didn't talk about it at all. You and I have both built, tried to build a B2C style e-commerce platform for our customers. Where did we go wrong and yeah. what would we have done different had we to do it over again? Where did you go wrong and I'll tell you where I think I went wrong.
0: I went wrong th- in two ways. Number 1, uh being overly captivated by what e-commerce could do for my distributorship. Mm. So just kind of blindly going into it because everything was e-commerce, e-commerce, e-commerce. Right. If you don't if you're not in this, you're dead. Yeah. And as someone that has always prided himself on being ahead of the times and and staying on trend, that was seductive for me, yeah. right? Like no brainer, this is the future, we're gonna be in on it because we're on trend and we don't wanna be irrelevant. So that was the first thing, just kind of blindly jumping in without really understanding what we were doing. Um, and then the second thing was, it attracted the wrong kind of clients for us. So we got a fair amount of lead gen that came from the site. Right. but it attracted people that were interested in price and they were right. interested in product. And yeah. I don't blame those people. Yeah. That's what we were marketing. Hey, yeah. here's a great product. Here's a great price. And we'd spent all sorts of time making sure that we were competitive with the competition and, you know, make sure that the margins were tight and we were going to use it as a form of lead gen. Right. But it was bringing in the customers that were incongruent with the customers that we had built right sleeve on up until that point. And I was scratching my head going, like, why is this the case? Like, where's all the all the customers that remind me of the other customers? And sure enough, now that I can look back at it and say, well, <laughs> they we our site and the way that we were optimized was attracting the wrong kind of customer. So that's where we went wrong. We learned a lot from it. And I think that from the ashes of that, we were able to really develop a successful model that informed a lot of our current B2B marketing approach, B2B e-commerce approach. But we can get to that later. How about you, Bobby?
1: i i think we were trying to build you know all of us live under the shadow of amazon so you can't even get out of its shadow if you try and so i think we were trying to build too much of a b2c experience with with a b2b with b2b customers and what i mean by that is i think the big miss is not recognizing like for example if you go to your customer right now and say what do you want and they might tell you the same thing they, they want amazon and actually, when we were in selling stores, we used to have a joke running joke. We would wait to see how long it was until the A word was dropped. Right. Because they would they would talk about some experience that they had and they would say, you know, like on Amazon. So we right. all have this filter called Amazon that we that we process this through, and we did too. And I think the biggest mistake was we put so much emphasis on the front end and we didn't think through what the B2B buyer really wants. What we didn't recognize was that the B2B buyer, now that we were trying to build an e-commerce platform, we not only now have our own ERP that we're running their non-e-commerce orders through, we not only have the company stores that we're building for them that we're running orders through, now we're going to build this other thing, yeah. like a B2C platform, and now we have this disparate engine that are sort of handling all of their business. What I didn't realize, and it would take a significant amount of funds to have done it, is that what they really might have wanted was more of a project management portal that tied to, to the ERP that sort of that, that stitched together all of their purchasing experiences that gave them something more on the backside that a B2B buyer might really want. Now, maybe I'm way out there but when you start to work, you know, a lot of us are working with the same clients over and over. You know, the eighty twenty rule is alive and well in our industry. And to give them more tools, sort of the B2C expectation is given. That's what they want. They want to be able to search and look for things. Um, but then maybe, maybe there were things on the back end that we could have built, like wish lists and a creative project portal that would help them get started with us with a project, as well as... Um, you know, the the six-month history of their transactions. So what, what I'm sort of suggesting is that we built a we, – we, we kind of fooled ourselves into thinking we were building a B2B platform when we were really built a B2C platform that we tried to thrust onto our clients.
0: So So all this is, I think, well and good, Bobby, but I also want to make sure that we don't fall into the trap of justifying a non- technical, uh, future for these kinds of distributors, because it then, right, right, right. then, then suggests that your head's in the sand. You're like, okay, Amazon yeah. is there for imprint. Sure. They've got their half a million, but it's a huge industry. I mean, the reality is that the, we do have younger buyers that are entering the, yeah. uh, the end, uh, end clients workforces. Um, they have been reared on an Amazon experience. Um, they right. are more distracted. They are less patient. Their expectations are higher than ever before in in, in our space. And I, I feel like you and I would be do, doing a disservice if we Certainly. were to suggest, okay, distributors, if you want to be successful in B2B e-commerce, you just need to keep right. offering that great creative strategic experience. Right. I don't think that's necessarily the answer. So how does the the modern distributor in 2018 and beyond, how do they – Embrace technology in a way that supports this thriving business model we've been talking about that doesn't make them four imprint lookalikes because I think they'll get their butts kicked doing that because. They don't have the capital that 4imprint has, nor the track record. What's right. that distributor to do? What are some of the things that you're seeing in the market?
1: Forrester and that report, I love this phrase that they use about reengineering the sales strategy and the selling motion. Yep. Going back through and looking at the buyer journey. And, and and what it probably means is building more digital experiences to enhance the offline relationship. Yep. Now, I don't necessarily know exactly what that looks like but I guarantee you it's not necessarily the Amazon experience. How do you mean by that? What I mean by that is, we're not talking about, um, what I mean by that is is if you look back at even just 30 days of your transaction history with a customer and you look at the type of orders that they processed and the things they did, are there ways that the digital experience can streamline parts of those processes that aren't necessarily going through a shopping cart?
0: I, I think the answer is, of course. And I, I can speak... From experience at, at right sleeve. And I think a lot of what we've tried to do at, at Common Skew, creativity and strategic insights are at the core of the transaction or the relationship with the customer. And while it's not shopping cart oriented, there's a lot of digital tools that a that 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 make it a, a highly efficient experience. Right. So an example of that could be we take it for granted now, but we prepare a presentation. And that presentation has the ability to comment on it so that the whole team of the end client side can rally around a presentation and come up with a conclusion much faster than before. And so to me, that would be one great example of engagement commerce. So you're not doing that if you're at four imprint At four imprint, you're going in, you're checking out, you're looking at your cart and you order it. Right. And that's a great experience. Whereas if you're dealing with right sleeve, we're sending you a presentation. We're asking you to engage. There's that word in that presentation and your colleagues can engage in that conversation or in that presentation and consensus is arrived at a much, much quicker rate. And all the while you're you're using technology to create a great customer experience where the customer is engaged. They say what they like They say what they don't like. They're effectively quote unquote, ordering the product, but there's that account management side that's involved as well. So I, I think for me, when you look at distributors that, and this is where I don't want it to be a common skew pitch, but if you look at it, if you look at a distributor that doesn't have a presentation like that, if you're just using that as one example, the distributor is sending off a PowerPoint presentation or they're sending off a PDF and it may look really great. They're sending it off and there's no ability to interact or engage with that beyond maybe a call or emails and it's go back and forth. That's the kind of experience that can weigh upon an end client that can get to the point where they're like, oh man, it's so much easier on Amazon. Like this is a nightmare to deal with this damn 18 page PDF. So the, the idea of a social presentation, like it's a subtle example, but it's, it, it's one of, or like online order approvals. Like, again, we're not talking rocket science here, but the number of people who will be shocked that you can approve an order online through common skew. It amazes me even to this day, like that's a feature that we've had from the beginning. And you think about the client yeah. experience is great, all you have to do is click a button and everything's approved. It reduces the number of errors, blah, blah, blah. To me, That's another example of engagement commerce. So really, the the question here is, asking
1: ourselves as B2B e-commerce companies, what parts of the purchasing process are broken? You know, is it sourcing? Is it proofing? Is it purchasing billing? Because all of this, when you look at the things like, you know, many folks point to the Uber and Airbnb type disruptions, those were all around the services, yep. the friction that we all had and just simply, this, and that's really what it was about, is reducing yep. or eliminating the friction yep. that we hated about those processes. And so when I suggested earlier that you yep. could re- reverse engineer this experience for your customer, and it's a painful question to ask, but that's the kinds of questions we should ask our customers. Are not, oh, you want Amazon? It's what is it about the parts of the purchasing process that are seem to be broken to you or frustrating?
0: That's actually the right question to ask. So he, a couple of things come to mind. Number one, The typical distributor is providing really good value through things like great product ideas, through, you know, it could be graphic services. It could be company stores. Like there's a lot of good stuff that's in there. And I feel like it gets overwhelmed by inefficiency. Yeah. Right. So you could be a really creative, amazing distributor that provides top level ideas for. Picky brands, okay? Mm-hmm. But if your systems are such that you can't manage your opportunity, your inbound opportunities or you can't manage your sales pipeline or you can't manage how you get ideas off to your customer in a way that doesn't take you three hours, yeah. but having to duplicate information or whatever the case may be, then it doesn't matter how great your ideas are. You could be the smartest person in the promotional products industry that you're ultimately hamstrung by A shitty system that you've got at the back end. Right. And, and that I feel there's a couple of people who pay the price for that. It's not only the distributor because they're frustrated, but then the end client looks at this in much the same way that you Bobby look at a taxi when you call it and you don't know when it's coming and you've got to fumble with your wallet Mm -hmm. and paying, you know, paying cash and you don't know the tip and Uber eliminated all that stuff.
2: Right.
0: So in, in many respects, I think the hallmark of a distributor that is engaged in e- engagement commerce, it's as much about the front end experience that they're already offering to their customer and how the back end augments that. Right. And I feel that a lot of distributors pay that price because of a very painful back end architecture yeah. that the client doesn't really see until the client has to wait three days for ideas or has to call and follow up on something because the distributor right. literally forgot because the piece of paper fell off their desk. And that, I feel, is is a significant problem today.
1: Right. You know, you, you had a great question, and I stole it, and I've been using it in a presentation. It was something about not what product do you want sourced, but what problem are you trying to resolve? So one of the interesting things about that Forrester B2B research study that, that has been, you know, talked about forever now and people are sick of it but we tend to forget what the study actually revealed it revealed that when the b2b buyer engages with sales they want that experience to be in a problem-solving consultative manner right that right there is exactly what our business at its best does yes The bottom line is that's why we haven't seen the B2C e-commerce experience grow more because that's not what the B2B customer wants. And so which parts then of the processes are broken? What parts of the process frustrate the customer? That's what we should focus on. Not getting sidetracked by all the bells and whistles and the shiny things of building an Amazon experience because that caters to our ego more than it does to solving the customer's problem.
0: Yes, I totally agree.
1: Mark, what's a shame about that is that we got allured. I, it was totally my fault. I got totally allured by the, and it's ego, by the B2C experiences because it's so large in our lives. And we love the right. frictionless B2C purchasing process through Amazon. Why wouldn't we want to build something like that for our customers? Well, what, yeah. I missed the obvious question. The customers weren't really asking for that. Yeah. They they thought they were too. So when you have a millennial buyer come in that's used to buying, you know, their detergent with a dash button and virtually anything else that they buy are on their phone or they have it set up automatically just to come to their house. They think they want that with their promotional products purchasing. But what we need to realize is we need to stake our claim and prove our expertise by helping those buyers come to the realization that that's not really what they want. Mark, uh, let me ask you this. You came up with a new phrase for this that I think is worth us exploring a little bit. And that was the phrase engagement commerce. I do think we need some new language for what we're trying to do because we're so hung up on the B2C shopping experience. What did you mean by engagement commerce?
0: So this, this came back to my experience at Right Sleeve. So from from my distributor experience, so the the, the 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 quick background is that we built a four imprint style e-commerce site. And this would have been around like two thousand six, two thousand seven, and had it had it live in the market for a couple of years back then. So this is almost about ten years ago, and that was a lot of work. It cost a lot of money. We didn't go with some off the shelf service. We built it ourselves, and. We shut it down after a few years because we found it attracted the wrong type of customer for us. A customer that was primarily interested in the transaction, right. interested in the product, and interested in the price. Right. And I don't blame those customers whatsoever because that's what the website was designed for. Price, product, and uh, <laughs> you, right. you could you could jump around and, and, and enjoy that experience online. Right. From the ashes of that experience, when we wrote that off we looked at who our real customer was and what they were really looking for was this creative strategic relationship with us because they supported us because we were able to solve problems better than most other people that they had ever worked with. And so I was not prepared to ever fully throw the towel in on that front end e-commerce experience that we had. Maybe, Maybe it's founder's ego maybe it's the amount of money we plowed into it right. or maybe it's right. me just having walked away with made a making a lot of mistakes and actually learning from them so yeah what i what i learned from that was that our customers that valued us for the creative and strategic work still enjoyed the site we actually had a few of them that called us when we took down the site and said, where's your catalog? We love that thing. We love being able to go through and look at ideas and share them with people that are in the ba- in, in our office. Um, it allows us to come up with product ideas uh, quicker and then, uh, and then pass the baton over to you at right sleeve to be able to, to, to finish the journey. And so what was clear to me in some of those feedback sessions was that the B2B customer still valued the digital experience they still valued the transparency they still valued being able to interact in a in a in in an efficient technological way with right sleeve and that of course made us look like we were with the times that we weren't you know this old school catalog mailing type of distributor we were we were with it so what ultimately happened from there was us trying to marry the best of both worlds. So on one hand, we had this human-powered, creative and strategic insights-driven distributorship. So we would meet with a marketing director at a a great brand that was looking to solve a problem. We, as human beings, would dig in and solve that problem through strategic advice, great product selection, and great creative designs, okay? So that, that, that is all the very old school side of the business. But then we looked at it and said, well, look at the experience that we're having with these people and how we're developing relationships with them. We don't have time to be doing that in person as much as we once did. But we can certainly continue those relationships with these customers online through the public social networks like Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter but then we can also take that experience into the back end of our system with how it with how it was that we were interacting with them through presentations, how we were interacting with them through order approvals, how we were interacting with them on order updates. Right. And ultimately through the efficiency in the way that we were working with them meant that we really landed on something great because now we had customers that we were blowing away with our great strategic and creative insights, but we were also impressing them with this great digital experience that was, that, that had to do with managing the project. And I think the final thing I'd say there that really drove home the point is that a lot of our customers are younger buyers, tech clients, savvy Amazon style people. And it was clear in working with them that they they had a need for something bigger than just a click on this product order it kind of experience. They needed right. something more, but they certainly weren't going to put up with an old school crappy experience when it came to how that distributor was working with them. So we felt there was an opportunity to blend those, which then led me to say, I think that this whole thing is The other e-commerce, it's engagement commerce. It's not electronic commerce. It's engagement commerce, which means you're marrying the efficiency of the traditional e-commerce company with the strategic and creative advice of the classic distributor that's able to bring real value.
1: You know, and, and this goes back to that Forrester study. This is where the Forrester study is incredibly misleading. We read that and think that a million B2B salespeople will be out of work because we have to build an e-commerce engine. What the statement from For- Source Forrester said and what you answered was, digital experiences must perform in tune with const- consumer-oriented expectations of B2B buyers. So we asked the question, what are those consumer-oriented expectations? It's about yeah. speed, it's about reducing friction in the buying process. That's really what it's about. So
0: there's a, there's a large distributor that has been on common skew for some time. And I was always struck by how this distributor would say that he would go into his client pitches and he would, he would brag about their internal system as being one of the key differentiators that they brought to the table when they were pitching business. And this is, is right. actually a company, uh, a distributor that was pitching traditional company store programs. So within that they were talking about how their efficient backend and how they would, uh, you know, interact on custom orders was, was a key to differentiating them within the marketplace. And I thought that was really interesting because, yeah. um, a, Not many distributors would think that an efficient back-end system is something that the end client would care about, but at the end of the day, if it's making you look better and allowing you to process more uh, orders and allowing you to process more requests in a timely manner, then that sure as heck is impacting the client experience, and that's something that should be bragged about, and I think that that represents one of the cornerstones of this engagement commerce thing that we're talking about right now is... Is how you're bringing those two worlds together.
1: You know, it's funny, Mark. It just dawned on me. Even with the company store selling experience, the larger brands, probably the quarter million, half million, million, seven-figure-plus programs, you would get into solving problems through the supply chain process. So really what you're doing is you're setting up a supply chain solution for branded materials. And in that sense, you're answering nothing but questions about friction in the buying process. And what's funny to me is that you would never get to traditional e-commerce questions like checkout options and things like that. I mean, those weren't like the primary problems. And it was also product was not the primary problems. It was always about process, always about process. So you could argue that even in our space now where e-commerce has become successful in one quadrant, which is company stores, it's still all about process reducing friction in the buying process for that entire customer all the way across right. the chain of, of right. their system. Yeah.
0: hundred, a like, hundred percent. And I think that, I think you will always have a customer that wants you to do the work for them, but just because yeah. they want you to do the work for them doesn't mean that they have to pay the price for an inefficient and frustrating process. I think that that, that that's the, right. the key here. So to go back to uh, the interior decorating example, if we called this interior decorator and said, Hey, we're looking to redesign our living room. Can you come and help us? If that person said, hey, great news, Mark and Catherine, I've got this website where you can go and you can see all the different rugs, all the different furniture pieces, all the different lamps, all the different paint chips. OK, this is actually funny. <laughs> and, and, and 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 it's and, kind of funny, actually. <laughs> yeah. But but imagine this. OK, so we said, hey, we're looking for we're looking to make our living room look kick ass. Right. We, we want to take it from, you know, sort of zero to ten. Mm-hmm. And. If, if they responded right. and said, we've spent a fortune in making this great DIY experience where you can go and see the prices, you can go and shop Amazon style, I can tell you that we would have said, we're not interested because that's way too intimidating. We don't know what we're doing. I don't care whether we're saving price. I don't even know right. what a good price is. Um, I can tell you that our budget is you know X thousand right. and we, sure, we don't want to spend more than that, but- if we're spending half that we don't really know um we actually want you to come out and do the work and when you think about it that's that's very similar to a distributor now yes. fooling themselves if they've got a an esp or a sage or a distributor central or whatever site and no right. disrespect to those platforms they they're just platforms yeah. that are out there with white labeled you, you know hundreds of thousands of products on there it's telling the user to say the same thing. So some customers are going to go, I love that. I don't want to talk to a rep. I just want to go and buy off of xyzpromo.com. It's such a great, efficient experience. But then you've got this whole other class of customer that says, what are you kidding me? I don't have time to do that. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm intimidated by this. Yeah.
1: I'm I'm Um, laughing because you know what's funny about this conversation is that we all know how frustrated the customer is by getting a, you know, 20 pound catalog thrown on their desk and said, here's some ideas for you to go search through. Um, we're just building the digital equivalent of that when we are building the B2C
0: promo experience. We're exactly doing that. And I think that, I think that that's why we're in the first stage of quote unquote e-commerce, right? I really do. I really feel we are. If you look at, if you look at, um, For imprint, for imprint started off as a catalog company. Um, They've been around. They've been around for a lot longer than people think. And yes, there were some smart acquisitions there, but they were a really great direct mail catalog, and and that's still a big part of their business, of course. And then the internet explodes. They've got some. uh, they, They invest some resources into literally creating an electronic version of their paper catalog. And that strategy remains the same to this day. Right. You call if you've got a question or you click and you go and order and Bob's your uncle. Right. And the, the, the thing is, what's the next step? You could, you could argue the next step is the, the, the Robin promotions model where you've got um, electronic e-commerce, sorry, electronic commerce around company stores. You could say that that's maybe a, a half step in in another direction mm-hmm. but what is the 2.0 version of e-commerce that doesn't think about creating an electronic catalog right and right. social media i think has tried to answer that question so through facebook and pinterest and linkedin and twitter instagram where you've got this dialogue between customer and vendor and that's very exciting because people get inspired by cool things they see online. They can save them for later. And I feel like that's the answer to some extent. But what does that really look like in B2B? I think that's the question we're trying to answer.
1: Yes. Right. Right.
0: That's what I, I go back to challenging
1: folks to, to ask the right questions about what it is we're trying to build here. We have to be careful that we're not just building a catalog experience online. A catalog experience that buyers have already said they don't want online. By not asking the right questions about what friction is, what friction we're trying to reduce in the buying process, then we're just going to end up making the same mistake, just in, a, in an expensive digital
0: version. I think that people would agree that we. Um, we're still scared of for imprint and for imprint as a business hasn't really changed how they do business, right. you know, beyond like, I know that might sound like a slam. I don't mean it that way, but it's not, it's not like for imprint has dramatically changed their value proposition right. since they came online, right? Like they, if they came online 15 years ago, the whole premise was: we've got great prices and a really efficient way for you to go and find a mug, upload a logo, and we'll ship it to you in three days. Right, right? like that—that's still the primary thing that they do, and it's clear that the a big part of the market uh, appreciates that. But is there anyone else that has innovated in e-commerce? And I think that that's what we're kind of talking about. I think the answer is. Like a little bit at the edges, but I still don't think that we've seen a revolution. I don't even know that I'm saying like engagement commerce is a revolution. Like, you know, it's not like right sleeve for doing this or even anyone who's on common skew is, is necessarily like revolutionize the industry. But I think it's, I think it's an interesting thing to consider, um, around what the hell e-commerce and B2B really means.
1: Right. And in this case I, in this case, I truly do believe questions are the answers that we're not asking the right questions. We just keep taking it for granted that the customer wants an Amazon experience when that's not actually what the customer's
0: asking for I, I, I think that point I really I really agree with you because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if that was if that was the case, for imprint would have the entire share of the market. Absolutely. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Skewcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to Skewcast on iTunes or to our blog at communitycom and Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening.